Praise God. You may be seated. I haven't gone very many places that I haven't been before where there's been more expectation. And uh, <laughs> it's uh, really funny to me because there are so many mixed feelings in this place right now. And it would be wonderful if you could switch all that to Jesus. That'd really be wonderful. I'd appreciate that. And it's not your fault. I know that Brother Shelton's been here a lot, and uh, I have been kept up to date on all of that. And I know that he honors me as his bishop and his pastor, and et cetera, et cetera. But it reminds me of what Paul talked about. He wrote about those people who um, who said, well, his, his words were mighty, but when he got here, he didn't seem all that much. I'm paraphrasing. And Paul wrote him back and said, next time I come, if they really want to see my presence match my letters, I can do that. But that's not really what I want to do. So whatever, whatever you're expecting of me, uh, I will say this to you. Um, the Lord knows me really well. And there are things that I have very specific direction to say to this church. And my nature is that I would be saying them this morning and that is not the will of God. In fact, I was driving here yesterday and heard the Lord speak to me as clearly as he ever has. And I'm going to minister something today that I've never ministered like this in my entire life. And the Lord knew that if he gave me a direct word, then I would leave all this other stuff alone till tonight. Because tonight will be the cult crowd. Everybody can find an excuse to not be here tonight won't be here. And trust me, you won't be the originator of that excuse. Well, the devil, no, the devil won't be the originator of that excuse. And neither will, God, neither will your flesh. Your excuse to not come tonight will be supplied by God. And it will be so believable you will act on it. Because tonight is only for the hungry. And the Lord will sift this crowd. And uh, he will let the religious do something else tonight. So that those who gather here are only the hungry. Those that are hungry for God. The things of God. The plan and the purpose of God. And uh, 
I'm not trying to be unkind with this. I just want you to know, if you come up with a good excuse not to come, it's okay. God gave it to you. Obey it. Well, I don't normally come on Sunday night anyway. Like I said, whatever your reason is, it's okay. It's okay with me if not even half this crowd's here tonight. Because God's got some things that he's going to do because of last night. Things he's going to say because of last night. Last night wasn't a ceremony. If you were here, you felt the witness of the Holy Ghost that what God did wasn't about a man. It was about a ministry. It was about a direction. It was about what God wants to do in and through this area. And so therefore, uh, you and the Holy Ghost will have to decide if you fit in that and if you're here tonight. So uh, that's enough of that. Now I'm going to read you verses and I will promise you if you think you know where I'm going from these verses, you will not be correct. But I'm reading them because that's what I'm directed to read. So if it's your custom to stand when the word's read, you're welcome to do that. You're also welcome to stay, stay seated, whatever your custom is. Either way is fine with me. Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 14. Mark 16, 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And this is what I heard yesterday. It's not often a preacher is going to give you his outline, but I'm giving you my outline because this is the outline that was given to me. I heard this first. Saved. What's that? Then I heard saved. From what? And then I heard Saved to do what? God bless you. There's my outline. You may be seated. Saved. If I ask you to raise your hand today, how many of you are saved? Uh, We would raise our hands. Most everybody in this room, maybe even everybody in this room, If I'm asking your opinion of your spiritual condition, are you saved? Most people would raise their hands. But the question is this. Saved. What is that? Well, I'm, I'm saved. Well, okay. What is that? I 
I'd venture to say that biblically, <clears throat> what it means to be saved is very different than what it means from a religious standpoint. Oh, I believe in Christ. I'm saved. Really. I've obeyed this. I'm saved. I've done that. I'm saved. Well, my Bible says, judge nothing before the time. He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. So you see, saved can have a very broad application to it. So what is saved? What does that mean? Are you saved? Well, we, we apostolics, we believe you're saved by obeying Acts 2.38. But quite frankly, uh, we're not sure how you get there. Do we put, we can put scriptures on the screen? Great. Okay. I hadn't even looked back there in two days, so here we are. So if we, uh, if we go to, uh, you can put it up there even though I just read it. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Notice this. He said, uh, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What's the gospel? Well, most apostolics would say it's Acts 2.38, which it is not. Acts 2.38 is not the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Acts 2.38 is what you do after you believe the gospel. Oh, praise God. Now, it, I would think you'd have already learned this with Brother Shelton. And uh, I'll say it to you for your benefit. Okay, I'm not a mind reader. I, I got better things to do even if I could. But when a man of God who has the Holy Ghost is hearing what God says and he speaks that. You talk back. Well, no, I don't. Oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> and the good thing is that as I've gotten older, I've learned how to not get distracted by what I hear coming back. Because used to, when I was younger and I heard that stuff, that I just stopped my message, began to debate with you, except I had the microphone. Nobody could hear your side of the debate. But I'm not doing that today, okay? But I got a couple of you already fussing with me. Oh, no, Acts 238 is the gospel. Really? Can you show me the book for that? You can't. 1 Corinthians 15 clearly. 
Paul clearly states what the gospel is. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have to have faith in the gospel for Acts 2.38 to work. I don't have faith in the gospel. I can go to church all I want. I can pray all I want. I can dress any way that I think my religion dictates. And it changes nothing. Because the gospel is what all this is about. That's why the cross is becoming even a more hated symbol than it's ever been. Do you know why that's the case? Because the cross says you can't save yourself. Well, my granny, she, she was a wonderful person. She didn't do this and she didn't do that. And you telling me she's lost? No, she's not going to be lost because she was your sweet old granny. But see, God is every time present at the same time. And he knew your sweet old granny when she was a teenager and in her 20s. And when she, and the stuff she did way back then. And if she never repented for all of that, she's held accountable for that no matter how sweet she was in her last days when you knew her. So it's not going to be your sweet old granny that's lost. It's going to be that person she was and all the stuff she did in violation of the word of God that she never ever told God she was sorry for that's going to take her to hell. Preacher, that's mean. That's not mean at all. It's just fact. No sin is going to enter there. And the only way you and I have any hope of going to heaven is if we allow the gospel to be applied to our lives to take the sin away. <laughs> well, I believe, preacher, that if you're good, you can be saved. Well, you and the Lord can debate that because he says, Romans 3, there's none good no, not one. And he says, there's none righteous. No, not one. And he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is, everybody, the good and the bad, are sinners and need a Savior. And there's no amount of good you can do to undo your bad. Does Missouri have prisons? You do? You got people that need to be put in prison here? Right. I got a question. Ideally, does our justice system send innocent people to prison? No. Ideally. I'm not saying there's not mistakes made. But ideally, you don't send innocent people to prison. You send guilty people to prison, right? If a person goes to prison guilty, do they come out of prison after serving their time innocent?
So, if I commit a crime and I'm tried, convicted, and sentenced, I'm guilty. I can serve my time, 5 years, 10, 15, 20, 50. And when I come out after serving my penalty, I'm still guilty. Hello? So the point is this. It doesn't matter what I do after I've sinned. I can't be good enough to undo my sin. So therefore, I can't save myself. Can't save myself. Now, those who are participating in religion, because you see, whether it's Christian religion, religion, Buddhism, Mohammedism, or Islam, uh, any of them, they all teach the same thing. That when you get to the judgment, if you've done more bad than good, you're lost, whatever that means according to that religion. Or if you've done more good than bad, you're saved. But Christianity which is not a religion. Now, some practice it as a religion because they perverted it. But biblical Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And that being the case, you can't save yourself by being good. The Word of God says... If you offend in one point of the law, you are guilty of the whole law. Now, I promise you this. If I cranked my SUV up, got out here on the main road, and drove it flat out as fast as it would go, and I don't know if it will go as fast as the speedometer says, and I'm not willing to try but if I did, and they and every policeman in this town started chasing me and they cut me off, they're going to arrest me. I'm not going to get a traffic ticket for doing 100 plus miles an hour down that main road. They're going to arrest me. And I can protest this. Wait a minute. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I pay my taxes. I've never, I've never stolen anything from anybody. I, I've never used illegal drugs. I, I, I can tell them all the things I haven't done. And I can tell them all the reasons why I'm a good person. And that policeman's going to say something along this line. And the judge who sentences me, you're not here because of all the stuff you haven't done. You're here because of what you did do. Now, where did we get that principle of justice from? It's called the Judeo-Christian ethic. And it's the foundation of every law in the Western Hemisphere. Because it was gotten out of the Bible. What we think is a call for vengeance, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, it's not at all. It's It's God's establishing the fact that the punishment is supposed to fit the crime. You don't cut off a man's hand for stealing bread. Christians and 
Jews don't do that. Other religions do. Other nations do that, whose laws are not based on that. Cut off a man's hand because he was hungry, stole bread. The punishment didn't fit the crime. Here's the problem when it comes to sin. How about put on the screen for me Psalms 53. We'll read beginning with verse 1. This is King David speaking. I'm sorry. Psalms 51. My mistake. Thinking of Isaiah 53. Psalms 51 and 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Next verse. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Next verse. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Next verse. And here's the problem. David said it. Against thee. And thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. See here's the problem. Sin isn't disobeying the preacher. Sin isn't breaking the rules of your religion or your church. Sin is a personal affront against your Father God, the Creator. Sin is personal against God. Because to sin, I am declaring I am not subject to you. I don't have to listen to you. Nobody can tell me what to do, including you, God. I'll make my own decisions, run my own life. That's sin. And it doesn't matter if your sin is uh, something that doesn't hurt anybody else. Or if it hurts a lot of other people. The problem is, it's not what it is, it's who it offends. Well, it's not offending to me, offensive to me. I don't have a right to be offended by your sin. I don't have nail scars in my hands. There's no nail scars in my feet. There's no uh, scar in my side. I don't have a right to be offended at your sin. But the one who created you, who put you here, he's the one that does that. So what is, what does it mean to be saved? Second Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start with verse 19. Second Corinthians 5, 19. To wit, let's go, I'm sorry, let's try 17, we'll go from there. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Next verse. 
And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Next verse. To it, or take note of this, that's King James English of pay attention to this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Next verse. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. If you'll stay right there, I want to go to the next verse in a moment. Thank you. So what does it mean to be saved? What it means is you have been restored to the God's original plan for you to have a relationship with Him. What horrible thing happened to separate man from God? What horrible thing was it man did? Did he wipe out half the animals in the garden? Did he kill his wife? Did his wife kill him? Did he feel like killing his wife? Did his wife feel like killing? What was it? What was the terrible thing? Listen now carefully. What was the terrible thing that was done in the garden that separated man so that God's plan for him and man to have a personal Relationship was undone, neutralized. Separation. What was it? Well, they ate some fruit off a tree. No, that's not what it was. It was that God said, don't eat the fruit off the tree. It wasn't, see, because we want to make it no big deal. It was just a fruit. I don't know if it was an apple. Nobody else does either. But I don't have a problem calling it an apple, just for illustration's sake. So they lost their relationship with God and were kicked out of the garden because they ate an apple? How ridiculous is God? No, you're missing the point, you see. It's not what they did to disobey God's word. It's the fact that it was the only thing he told them, don't do this. They're in paradise. They don't have to work. They, they don't have anything to do. They don't have to till the ground. Stuff grows bountifully. There's no weeds. And I can prove that biblically. There are no weeds. Stuff just grows. There's no enmity between man and the animals. So there's no fear. And there's no death. And all God did was put a tree in the garden so they could have a choice. Because without a choice, they had no way to prove or to demonstrate that they chose God. Because you see, God is love. 
And he did all of this so he could have somebody to love. But to love someone and them love you in return, they have to have the ability to choose. And nothing else in creation has the power to choose. I studied celestial navigation at the Naval Academy. And the reason that's worked for thousands and thousands of years before there was that the system was artificially created by putting man-made satellites so that they could send signals so we could have GPS. Thousands of years. It's only been a decade, couple of decades the GPS system has been reliable. Up until that time, how did man go from one continent to the next and get to where he was going? Because the whole universe obeys God to such a degree that there are books with calculations of where the stars are going to be at, in any season, in any month, in any day, at any time of the day. So that a, a, a mariner at sea, if he knows the day and the time at least, he can use a sextant, which is just a device that determines an angle or a direction to stars. And then he goes to his books and he plots that out on a chart. And he can know exactly where he is. Because the whole universe obeys God so perfectly. The only part of the universe that doesn't is man. And it's not because we're bad. It's because God wants somebody to love. So he created man in his own image. And he gave us not only the power to choose, but the right to choose and the responsibility to choose because he wanted us to love him of our own free will. And when he created man in the garden and there was no sin, man had to have a choice. So God put a tree in a garden and then told man, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. And the devil says to Eve, and I'm paraphrasing, God just doesn't want you to have this because it's good. Are you kidding me? Do I need to go through the description of the garden all over again? No. God wasn't trying to withhold anything from them. God just wanted them to make a choice. I've said this many times and it, some of you have watched some of my stuff, and so you may have heard this. No apologies. But on the night of November the 1st, 1968, as I stood at the front of that little church building, if my future father-in-law was trying to drag my wife down that aisle to marry me, I'd have met him before he could get a third of the way and say, wait, 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 wait. If she doesn't want to marry me as much as I want to marry her, this wedding is off. Saved. What's that? Saved isn't joining a church. Saved isn't just obeying some scripture. That's not what saved is. Saved is having your relationship with God reconciled or restored. And that means... I'm not saved just when I come to church. And I don't keep the rules just when somebody's watching. I'm saved because I have a relationship with the one who created me. I know him. He knows me. We're on the best of terms and I want to keep it that way.
because he promised to never leave me nor forsake me. I love my wife. We've been married 49 years in November, if you did the calculations a few minutes ago. But trust me, I don't belong to her first. I belong to her second. And someone, sometimes the one who has first claim on me sends me places either she can't go or would rather not go because she likes to stay home with her seven grandchildren. Well, I'm not, I'm not just married when I'm in the house with her. I'm not just married when we're in the car together. I'm not just married when we're in the RV together. I'm married 24-7 because it's a relationship. It's not a religion. And the Word of God is there. And there are things that says, don't do this. And there's things that says, you don't, you, you, you should do this. Well, then I can be saved if I don't do this and I do this. Oh, no, that doesn't save you. All that is is your way to express your choice. I choose him over this. I choose him. I choose knowing him. I choose my relationship with him. Now, now, I, I use this example a lot. I'm just trying to make my point here. I don't know where we will be eating this afternoon, but I can tell you where it won't be. It won't be Burger King. <laughs> it won't be Burger King, not because that the preacher's going to say, where do you want to eat today? But he doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean it. Because if he really meant that, he'd take me to Burger King. You, you say you're kidding. No. You don't kid about stuff like Whoppers. There's no kidding about that. <laughs> Whoppers are some of the most serious thing you could talk about. You don't kid about that. But my wife only goes to Burger King when she's trying to send a signal. I love you. Because if it's her choice, we wouldn't even drive on the same street where there's a <laughs> Burger King. I can guarantee you, wherever we eat, well, do you have a preference? No. No, I don't. Why? Because you don't want to know my preference. And the compromise that's made since she has so kindly accompanied me and I don't have to be alone is I'll eat anywhere you want to eat. I don't care. I don't care. And so as long as it doesn't have to be fancy, but it has to be someplace where there's a, you're sitting down and there's a menu and not the one posted on the sign with the speaker. Because I don't even like to go in Burger King. I just want to get it and eat it. I'm in a hurry. I got stuff to do. But I make a choice to sit down and eat with her. And I, I grew up enough to learn to enjoy doing it. 
instead of pouting over it like I was did when I was young. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you got to grow out of that. Let me tell you something. I mean, it causes problems. Because it's, it's not enough that you're sitting there with her. you got to act like it's okay. Because if you're pouting, you don't get any points for it at all. No points whatsoever. You know, no points. No points. And if you're married and you don't understand points, oh, God. That's another message altogether. You see, I don't have to gain points with her. I, it, it's set up a one-way system, and I'm trying to gain the points, and I try to stay in the black. But one thing you learn over years of being married, it takes a long time to get you a good point balance bill up. you got to work at that. But one stupid one stupid decision where you didn't think carefully. You don't lose some of the balance. You lose the whole balance. And if it's bad enough, you don't just get down to zero. You get in the red. And now you got to work just to get back up to zero. You see? You say, I don't believe all that. Then I don't, I'm glad that uh, I don't have anything to do with your marriage because if you don't believe that, believe that you're not happy. Well, I don't think that's right. Oh, then you don't understand love, do you? Because if we both like Burger King, I'd never know if she loved me. Well, you understand the point. I, I, hopefully there's other ways, but still. What a simple way to show choice. And choice is love. And when you have a relationship with someone... You're not concerned about what you're getting out of the relationship. Your concern is what are you giving to the relationship? Well, that's one-sided, not if the other person loves you. Not if the other person loves you. But the bottom line is true love, whether it's to a wife or husband or to God, is it the focus is on what you're giving to him, not what you're getting. And the old saying is you can't outgive God. That's really true. But the motive is not to give to him to get. Well, I'm going to love you because of what you're going to do for me in return. Ooh, that's a bad basis for a marriage. But even worse, it's a wrong relationship for a spiritual relationship. Why? Because without the cross, I'm hopelessly guilty of my sin. I have no way to ever be new again. I don't ever, I have no way to live with righteousness or peace or joy. I have no way. But he, he gave himself for me in my place. He already did all that could possibly be done, really. He died. Verse, next verse, please. He took my sins and became guilty so that I could receive his righteousness. And the root word there is innocence. 
I could be made innocent because he gives me his innocence. Now you tell me, please, what more he could give to show he loved me than to take my sins and suffer for them himself. And then, and then, Give me his innocence. Now, you probably, all the things you've heard about Chester Wright, there's some things you didn't know. I'm perfect. I have never sinned in my life. I've never done anything wrong. I've always treated people absolutely well, very well. Now, this Jesus fellow, I don't want to discuss with you what he's done. Did you get it yet? Because he took all of my sins on himself and died for them. And he gave me all of his righteousness and goodness. Why do we obey, obey Acts 2.38? Because to be reconciled, I've got to repent where I die to the old man. And then I'm uh, that old man is buried. That old man that did all this stuff is buried. And then when I receive the Holy Ghost, I'm resurrected to walk in this new life. And this new life is a relationship with God. Saved. What's that? What am I saved from? Well, let me tell you what you're not saved from. You're not saved from your humanity. Not yet. You're not saved from this world, not yet. We're in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world. I still have this 24-7 until that day comes. I'm not saved from any of that, which means to have and maintain this relationship, this reconciled relationship, this saved relationship, I've got to determine what I'm saved from and the source of it. Because you see, sin isn't the problem. It's what causes sin's the problem. And what is the problem? It's my choices to do what pleases me rather than what pleases him. Now, I agree. I agree. If she chooses to stay home with the grandchildren rather than travel with me, I could eat a Burger King every day if I want to. But you know what I figure out about that? It was really good in my own mind. Because after two or three, four days of nothing but whoppers, I'm telling a secret I've never said to her. I, it kind of gets a little old after a while. Okay? It's, I found out it's the anticipation of the Whopper that's really good. Sometimes it's not the Whopper itself, you see. Because if it's the end of the shift and they're not fixing new ones and they got some that's sitting there, I don't want that Whopper. But they call it a Whopper. So the... 
The point is, <laughs> it's, if I'm declaring my independence for a while so I can do what I want to do the way I want to do it, I'm just going to take a vacation from God for just a week or so. Right? No. What I'm saved from, I'm saved from the power of my own flesh to compel me to make decisions I don't want to make. Because if I fellowship with God, His love, His grace, His goodness working in me, will give me the strength to make the right choices. Now, last question. Saved to do what? Oh, that's easy. Saved to come to church. Saved to keep the rules. Saved to pay 10% of my money to the church. Really, really. I've been compelled to make this statement numerous times, and some days when I'm compelled to say it, I'll say it really gently. And then some days I'm compelled to say it, I say it about as strong as I'm capable of saying it. Today, I'm feeling somewhere in the middle. Okay? So if anybody ever preached to you that if you believe the gospel would obey Acts 2.38, come to church, pay your tithes, live a holy life, you'd be saved. They lied to you. All that does is prepare you to live a saved life. The third question is, saved to do what? So we go back to Mark chapter 16, and I'll read verse 14 for you again. And let's look closely at it. Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected from the dead. In verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven. Notice this now. This isn't just the disciples in general. This is the 11, the 12 minus Judas. The foundation of the church. The church was built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians chapter 2. And afterward he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat and upbraided them. Now, in most churches today, if the preacher did to the congregation what Jesus just did to the apostles oh there'd be a mass exodus because I can't possibly describe to you in strong enough language what the Greek word translated upbraid means he rebuked them in the strongest plainest words he was capable of using. If you'd like just a little bit of flavor of this word, it's the same idea of when our loving, kind, wonderful Savior made a whip out of ropes and started swinging it at guys 
who was selling religion. Oh, they were selling sacrifices, right. They were selling cheap religion. And the Savior, the creator of mankind, the one who was going to die for all man's sins in just a few weeks or months, whatever it was at that time, was swinging a whip that he personally braided out of rope. I got a question. What do you think his hand-eye coordination was like? Probably pretty good, wasn't it? You think he was swinging it in the air? You think he was missing those people? I don't think so. They thought he'd lost his mind. His own disciples thought he'd lost his mind. What is he doing? He's turning over tables, scattering their money, driving the animals out of the temple, and swinging a rope at the people that were selling the sacrifices. Yes, I'm talking about Jesus. And that, whatever that feeling was that caused him to act like that, is all contained in the word Upbraided. And notice the preposition, please. He up, didn't upbraid them for or because of their unbelief. He upbraided them with their unbelief. He took their own unbelief and hardness of heart and used it as a whip to chastise them strongly. What did they do? I'm glad you asked. What did they do to provoke such an action as that? They were locked away in a safe space because the authorities were looking for them to capture them to make sure that they didn't steal the body away and claim he was resurrected. And they were the authorities were after them and they were protecting themselves by, by locking their faith away in a safe place behind closed doors. And you know what Jesus called that? Unbelief and hardness of heart. Why? Because if I really believed the gospel that it sets men free from their guilt, their shame, and their life that's held them so captive. I couldn't hide that away in a safe space called a church house just to protect me from persecution. Now, could I? If I really believe the gospel, if I really believe the gospel has done for me what he said the gospel would do, if I believe the gospel, I couldn't hide it and only invite people to come here to my safe space to hear it if I really believed the gospel. So the third question the Lord asked me, ask you is this saved to do what 
Well, if the only reason you're saved is just so you don't go to hell, then why didn't you quit breathing the moment you got saved? Let's get on with it. Why did he leave you here if the only reason for to be saved was to be saved from hell? If that's the only purpose of being saved, then why did he leave you here? I realize there's some folks that believe once you're saved, you're always saved. And I'm not here to debate that. I'm just simply going to say to that to you. I don't find that in the Bible. I don't believe that. And therefore, if a person who has once been reconciled to God and made a choice to believe and be reconciled to God, he doesn't lose his free moral agency. And therefore, being saved doesn't make you an automaton. It doesn't mean that you no longer are a free moral agent. So if I had to choose to believe and be saved, then I can choose to no longer believe and be lost. And if the purpose of salvation is just to keep me from going to hell, then why did he leave me here and take the chance I'd change my mind? Why'd he do that? Why? Because the principle of the gospel is this. Freely you've received. Freely give. I didn't earn this. I didn't earn this. I didn't deserve this. There's nothing about Chester Wright that's good enough to deserve this. I was giving this love, this salvation, this forgiveness as a free gift. He couldn't force me to take it, but he offered it. He made it available to me. I then had to choose to take what was offered after I believed it was mine to choose. And if he did that for me, how, if I believe that's really true, how can I keep my mouth shut and let other people live their lives without ever really knowing him? Because to do so is sends this message to God. I deserve for you to save me, but they don't. And I make this statement to you, and you don't have to answer to me. I leave this week, and only God knows if and when I'll ever be back. You don't have to answer this to me, but you're going to answer this to God. If you believe you're saved and you keep your mouth shut to others who need to be saved, then you're saying to God and everybody, I deserve this. And they don't. Well, I'm not saying that. Oh, yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. Because keeping my mouth shut protects me from persecution. So my benefit of being protected is more important than them going to hell for eternity without being told. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, I have spoken what you have said to me to speak. I have said the words you have put in my spirit to say. I have not added to it. I have not taken from it. I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that every person in this room would open their minds, their hearts, and their spirits enough to recognize that a man has not spoken to them today except in physical voice only, but that you, our Father, have spoken into their minds and their hearts and their spirits directly, that these are your words, and that they will be held eternally accountable for these words. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, give us the grace to respond in a way that's pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus. I'm not implying you have to come to the front to pray. In fact, most of the time, I prefer people to pray right where they are so that it's not about what people see or don't see. But there are some of us here today that need to repent because we have withheld good from others who are just as deserving from us. Well, that's the preacher's job. Then you should hear yesterday's message because it's not the preacher's job. If you are saved, it becomes your responsibility. Freely you have received, freely give. And that wasn't spoken of preachers. That was spoken of every one of us. Somebody here right now wants to come and repent to God and make a new commitment right down here, right now. I'm done. What are you going to do about it? Oh, Brother Wright, I, I don't want to embarrass myself. That's exactly right. Stay right there and preserve yourself. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not speaking with unkindness. I'm speaking with authority. What are you going to do about what you were so freely given? Freely you have received. He did it all. He provided it all. And then he drew you to him by his word and by his spirit. He drew you to him by his love, by his mercy, by his grace. He drew you to him. He forgave your sins. He took your guilt away. He washed you in his blood when you were water baptized. He put on you the new robe of righteousness. He gave that to you. And now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Paul said, I'm a debtor. Are there any debtors in the house? Oh, Father, you've forgiven me. You've given me such a relationship with you. I'm a debtor. I'm not trying to shame anybody. That's not the point of it. There's not shame in this house right now. There's conviction. It's the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Save to do what? Save to do what? It's not about building a crowd. It's not about filling up a church building. It's not about building a better church building than somebody else has. It's about freely I've received. I need to freely give. Because I can't prove, I can't demonstrate that I have freely received without freely giving. Because if I have truly received, Makes me like Peter who said we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. 
We can't keep what we've been given to ourselves. How do we keep this to ourselves? How do we keep this to ourselves? Yes, it's a sacrifice to leave your wife and kids behind and travel. But the gospel demands freely receive, freely give. But what if they reject me? What if they mock me? What if they don't want to receive this? What if they don't want to have anything to do with this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what if? But the bottom line is this. Just like the 11 saved themselves, are you going to save yourself and let others be lost? Is that the motive? Is that the purpose? Because here's the problem. Just like my gas gauge tells me how much fuel I've got. Just like the engine temperature gauge tells me how hot the engine is. My desire to share the gospel is a meter that tells me how saved I am. Because if I fully understand, I can't earn this. I can't deserve this. This was freely given to me. And oh, what a change this has made in my life. It compels me. Paul said it, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 14. The love of Christ constraineth us, for we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and in that he died for all, we that live must henceforth live must not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto him that died for us and rose again. That's the, that's the purpose, you see. His love wouldn't let him live. His love for us wouldn't let him save himself. Wouldn't let him spare himself from, the, from, from pain and sorrow and death. And our love for him and the way that he's loved the lost won't let us save ourselves and let them be saved. It won't do it. The same love that wouldn't let him spare himself. The same love won't let us spare ourselves. In the name of Jesus, Father, this is your word, not mine. It's been planted into these hearts and lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak the word of authority to command that there be an angelic hedge of protection put around these lives so that this word cannot be stolen by the birds of the air, by the demons of this atmosphere, but that this word would be protected so that in the night... We will hear it again as we drive down the road and our mind is wandering. All of a sudden, we'll hear the, your words again. We'll feel the conviction again. We'll feel the draw and the pull of your love for us again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yea, ki he kala rata hai.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Ye kula rotele de titi e kalaratata haye. Ye ki e kula roteti e kalaratata haye. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah.